Hey everybody, welcome back. All right, so we're going to be starting in chapter six, skin and membranes. And this is going to be a lot of repetitive from the chapters before, but that's okay because if you're hearing it, you're learning it again. Okay, so I'm going to start at the beginning of the intro. Um, the chapter focusly main, mains focusly on the skin and its appendages, which are the hair, the nails, and skin glands. And the skin is one of the most anatomically simple but functionally important sheet-like structures called membranes. So the integument is another word for skin and connective tissues just beneath it. And the integument, when considered as a body system, is the integumentary system. Okay, so I'm going to go under body membranes, classification of membranes. The term membrane refers to a thin sheet-like structure that may have an important function in the body. Um, they cover and protect the body surface, line body cavities, and cover the inner surfaces of hollow organs such as the digestive, reproductive, and respiratory passageways. Some of them anchor organs to each other or to bones, and others cover the internal organs. So in certain areas of the body, membranes secrete lubricating fluids that reduce friction during internal movement. Okay, so now I'm on page 100. Membrane lubricants also decrease friction between bones and joints, and there's two major categories of types of body membranes. So that's epithelial membranes and connective tissue membranes. This should be ringing a bell because we just have gone over this in the past few chapters. So epithelial membranes are composed of epithelial tissue and an underlying layer of fibrous connective tissue. And connective tissue membranes are composed exclusively of various types of connective tissue. No epithelial cells are present in this membrane at all. So epithelial membrane, there are three types of epithelial tissue membranes in the body. There's cutaneous membrane, serous membrane, and mucous membrane. So the cutaneous membrane or skin is the primary organ of the integumentary system and is the, the largest and most visible organ. And the skin is going to count for about 16% of your body weight, which we had said before, about, I think it was 20 pounds worth. It fulfills the requirement necessary for epithelial tissue membrane in that it has a superficial layer of epithelial cells and an underlying layer of supportive connective tissue. Moving on to serous membranes, this is a con uh, composed of two distinct layers of tissue. The epithelial sheet is a thin layer of simple squamous epithelium, and the connective tissue layer forms a very thin glue-like basement membrane that holds and supports the epithelial cells. So if you think basement membrane, remember back to where we were talking about um, pseudostratified, pseudo meaning fake. It looks like it's connected to something, but it's not. It's just the basement membrane. So the main basement membrane is going to be um, the glue-like part at the bottom that holds and supports the epithelial tissues. So the serous membrane that lines the body cavities and covers the uh, surfaces of organs in those cavities is a single continuous sheet of tissue that folds over itself to form two distinct layers of serous membranes. Okay, so I'm going to direct you over to page 101, and we're going to look at A and B examples in the figure 6-2. So the parietal layer is the serous membrane that lines the walls of body cavity, much like wallpaper covers the walls of a room. So when we see parietal, um, we are going to see that it's the outside of this balloon that someone has their fist in. It's going to be the outside of the wall. Um, the visceral layer is the portion of the membrane that folds inward to cover the surface of the organs within a body cavity. So, um, you got visceral on the outside and you have, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, parietal on the outside and visceral on the inside of the wall. And it's just one continuous loop. Okay, so... The visceral layer is the portion of the membrane that folds inwards to cover the surface of the organs uh, within a body cavity. And also, serous membranes secrete a thin, watery fluid that reduces friction between the two layers and provides lubrication when organs rub against one another or against the walls of cavities that contain them. So, these serous membranes that are around the lungs are called the pleura. 
Um, and so when we know when we hear pleura, plural, it has to do with your lungs. This is also in your medical terminology book if you've been keeping up with it. Um, and then the abdominal cavity, um, the serous membrane in that is the peritoneum, and that's going to cover a larger um, area. Okay, so please note that the placement of the parietal pleura and visceral pleura and the parietal peritoneum and the visceral pleura peritoneum, excuse me, um, they're also going to be on page 100 and 101. So the layer that adheres to the surface of the heart is called the visceral layer, and the layer that adheres to the fibrous sac is called the parietal layer. So this is the same in the heart, um, only it's going to be the serous membrane around the heart is the pericardium, cardium, cardio, heart. Uh, resume uh, in figure 6-2a, is going to look like this water balloon and someone having their fist in it. So pleurisy is a pathological condition and it's painful and it is basically the inflammation of the serous membrane or the pleura um, that lines the chest cavity and covers the lungs. So pleura, lungs, pleurisy is going to be painful. It's inflammation. And this is also in your medical terminology book. Peritonitis, itis is going to uh, mean inflammation of something. Periton peritoneum. This is inflammation of the peritoneum is peritonitis um, in the abdominal cavity. Okay, we're now looking at mucous membranes on page 101. Mucous membranes are epithelial membranes that contain both an epithelial layer uh, and a fibrous connective tissue layer. They line the body surfaces opening directly to the exterior body. Um, these are going to be your respiratory, digestive, urinary, and reproductive tracts because they all open to the outside. Um, so when you think mucus, think like wet. It can be sticky. It can be, it doesn't have any hair on it most of the time. Um, either stratified squamous or simple columnar epithelia. And this goes to structure fits function. A thin layer of simple columnar epithelium lines the walls of lower segments of the digestive tract. And these are well suited to a primary function of nutrient and water absorption. So each of these are going to have their own role and they're going to be fit specific to what is needed. So epithelial cells of most mucous membranes secrete a thick slimy material called mucus, M-U-C-U-S, that can, uh, keeps the membranes moist and soft. And the fibrous connective tissue underlying the epithelium in mucous membranes is called the lamina propria. So we need to keep in mind that mucus, M-U-C-O-U-S, um, identifies the type of membrane and that mucus, M-U-C-U-S, um, refers to the secretion produced by that membrane. So our nose would be a mucus membrane and it uh, secretes mucus when we get a sinus infection, but they're spelled differently. Um, the term mucot mucocutaneous junction is used to describe the transitional area that serves a point of fusion where skin and mucous membranes meet. So such would lack accessory organs such as hair or sweat glands and characterize skin. So this will be your eyelids, lips, nasal openings, vulva, and anus. They have a mucocutaneous junction that may become sites of infection or irritation because that's another function of our hair is to keep away bacteria. So now we're going to move on to connective tissue membranes. Um, the synovial membranes lining the joint capsules that surround and attach the ends of articulating bones and movable joints are classified as connective tissue membranes. These are smooth and slick and secrete a thick, colorless, lubricating fluid called synovial fluid. It resembles egg white and helps reduce friction between opposing surfaces of bone and movable joints. And um, bursi, bursae, um, is found between many of these body parts, and that'll be... Um, in the next chapter. So I'm going to move on to skin on page 102. 
Um, one square inch of skin has about 500 sweat glands, more than 1,000 nerve endings, yards of tiny blood vessels, nearly 100 oil glands, 150 sensors for pressure, 75 for heat, and 10 for cold, and millions of skin cells. That is a lot going on in an inch of skin. So the overview of skin, um, we're going to look at the distinctive layers of the tissue. So the epidermis is the outermost layer of the skin, and it is relatively a thin sheet of stratified squamous epithelium. The dermis is a deep layer of the two layers, and it is thicker than the epidermis and is made up largely of connective tissue. And you can see a picture on page 102, and this is figure 6-3. Um, skin are supported by a thick layer of loose connective tissue and fat called subcutaneous tissue or hypodermis. So fat is uh, the subcutaneous layer, and it insulates the body from extreme heat and cold, and it also store, uh, serves as stored surface source of energy for the body and can be used as a food source if required. So um, it's also used as a shock absorbing pad and helps protect underlying tissues from injury caused by bumps and blows to the body surface. So think about how sensitive our body would be if you didn't have some kind of fat on you and you smacked your arm and it went straight to your bone. You would rather have a bruise than a broken bone, right? So the epidermis is tightly packed epithelial cells of the epidermis and are arranged up to five distinct layers. Let me go ahead and say I was freaking out when I read this because it doesn't actually list all five distinct layers. But that is something you can Google and it also is something that I have in another book if anybody wants to get that from me. Um, it's not really focusing on that. It's just wanting you to know that that ha that is a thing. Um, so the basal cells of the innermost layer called the strat stratum germinatavum attached to underlying dermis um its cells connect or continually undergo mitosis and repeat themselves um and then they are pushed upwards through um the additional layers or strato cells and then once they get to the surface the epithelial cells are going to die and their cytoplasm is going to be replaced with keratin which is tough and waterproof and it's the outermost layer um or well not it's not the outermost layer i'm sorry um then the outermost layer of the epidermis is going to be the stratum corneum. So cells of the stratum corneum have been dislodged. These dry dead cells filled with keratin um, flake off by the thousands on our clothes and our bath water and the things that we handle, probably our food. And millions of epithelial cells reproduce daily to re uh, replace the millions that we shed. This is just one example of how our bodies are without our conscious awareness. And you're going to see a lot of those dead cells when you go to a nursing home because a lot of these elderly people are not getting... Um, they're not secreting oil. They're not um, producing things that they once were. So their skin gets really dry and they have a buildup of this. So if you ever change the socks on an elderly person as a CNA or an LPN or an RN, you're going to have a flake shower. And it's going to be a lot of skin cells that are flying around because they have become dislodged and they, um, they're not being taken care of as well. So we're going to move down to skin pigment. The deepest layer, uh, cell layer of stratum germinatavium identified in figure 6-3 is responsible for the production of a pigment and it gives color to the skin. So pigment literally means paint and the epidermal layer gives color to the skin. The skin. So brown pigment melanin is produced um, by cells called melanocytes that are found in this basal layer. Um, the higher the concentration of melanin distributed in the layers of epithelial cells, the deeper the skin color. Functions of melanin is to absorb harmful um, UV radiation from sunlight before it reaches the tissues below the outer layer of the epidermis. Um, and skin color is influenced by genes. Other factors such as sunlight and exposure can also modify hereditary effect. Um, very, very un 
known fact is that African Americans can actually get sunburns. African Americans actually can get a tan. Um, my husband is in fact mixed and his skin pigment is obviously darker than mine. He has more melanin than I do, but he has also the ability to be sunburned or, um, to get a tan. So fun fact, um, other factors, um, are going to determine, you know, how far the UV rays are going to uh, reach. So if blood oxygen levels decrease or if actual blood flow is reduced dramatically, the skin will turn a blue-gray color, and this is a condition called cyanosis. And as Ms. McBride has said, if you ever see that, you need to get somebody immediately because that is a lot of blood flow being cut off. All right, so I'm going to move on to dermal epidermal junction, still on page 103. Between the thin superficial epidermal layer of the skin and the deeper dermal layer, um, they form a type of basement membrane called a dermal epidermal junction. I'm just going to call it DAJ or DEJ, sorry. The deeper cells of the epidermis are packed tightly together, and these act as weld spots or a type of gel glue. Um, small nipple-like bumps called dermal papillae project upward from the dermis into the dermis and also stabilize the dermal uh, epidermal junction. If the junction is weakened or destroyed, the skin falls apart, and when this occurs over a limited area because of burns, friction injuries, or exposure to irritants, these can cause blisters. Any widespread detachment of large area from the epidermis or the dermis is an extremely serious condition that can result in infection or death because you're opening up your body to a lot of susceptibility. So now I'm going to move on to dermis. I'm at the bottom of page 103 and we're about to move on. Dermis is the deeper of the two primary skin layers and is much thicker than the epidermis. Um, and dermal cells are separated from one another and have fibers scattered between, uh, in between them. Some of them are tough and strong, which are collagen or white fibers, and some are stretchable and elastic, which are elastic or yellow fibers. So moving down to papillary layer, the upper region or papillary layer of the dermis is characterized by parallel rows of tiny bumps called dermal papillae. It's composed of essentially a loose connective tissue element within a fine network of thin collagenous and elastic fibers. Um, so dermal papillae increase the surface area of the glue-like dermal epidermal junction. It helps to bind the skin layers to each other. And then the ridges on the tips of the fingers are skin covering of your palms and your hands result from the parallel arrangement of dermal papillae under the epidermis. Um, friction ridges develop before birth. So this is literally where you get your uh, fingerprints from is um, the bumping around inside of the uterus is going to cause this shape. Um, so every individual is born with a unique pattern of friction ridges and is determined by DNA and shaped by movements within the uterus. Therefore, no people have identical cold patterns and patterns never change as people grow larger. We're going to go on down to reticular layer still on page 104. The deeper area or reticular layer of the dermis is filled with a dense network of interlacing fibers, collagen fibers that make the skin tough and elastic fibers are also present. This allows it to stretch and recoil and wrinkles are going to develop when the skin loses elasticity. So um, that usually just comes with age, which is probably why people are always looking for a way to live forever because then you wouldn't have wrinkles but this is just due to elasticity being lost in the skin so an extensive network of nerves and nerve endings is to detect sensory information such as pain pressure touch and temperature and at various levels of the dermis there are muscle fibers hair follicles sweat and oil glands and many blood vessels so i'm going to move on down to subcutaneous tissue this is often called superficial fascia or a hypodermis by anatomists. It's not a part or a layer of the skin, but it uh, ties into the dermis 
um, and forms a connection between the skin and underlying structures of the body, such as muscle and bone. I'm going to move over and skip around just a little bit. You might need to know what liposuction is, and I'm sure we've all heard of it. Um, it involves inserting a hollow tube into the subcutaneous tissue or fat tissue and removing fat with a vacuum aspirator. So this is what they do in Hollywood. Um, hair, nails, and skin receptors. So hair, the location of hair is important. Um, at, this, uh, at birth, we all have pocket life follicles that are required for hair growth, and they're already present. And on a newborn, a lot of the times you're going to see like a fuzz over them, and this is called lanugo. And it actually, um, after birth, is lost and replaced with new hair that's stronger. It's more pigmented. Um, so we're going to skip over this clear view of the human body, and we're going to go to page 105. Um, this hair is most visible, um, on the scalp, eyelids, and eyebrows, and the coarse hair that first appears in the pubic and axillary regions is at the time of puberty, and it develops in response to a secretion of hormones, so that lets you know, um, when it's time for that to, uh, come in, so that's usually, um, for a male, when their voice is going to drop, it's going to get deeper, um, testes will drop, and they're going to become uh, hairier. They're going to get a lot more hair in the pubic area, axillary area. And for women, uh, the same for us. And we are going to usually start our menstrual cycle. So hair growth. Um, cells of the epidermal layer of the skin grow down into the dermis to form a small tube called the hair follicle. Um, and this is where the root is going to be. The visible part of the hair is actually called the shaft. So when you get a haircut, you're getting the shaft cut. Um, hair growth begins from a small bump called a hair papilla, and it's located at the base of a follicle. Um, so hair is going to be a keratinized cylinder. Okay, I'm going to move down to erector pili muscles. A tiny, smooth, involuntary muscle can be seen at the follicle, and it's called erector pili. Um, these muscles contract only when we are frightened or cold, and the contraction occurs in each muscle simultaneously, and it pulls on two points of attachment. So one is up on the hair, but down on the part of the skin, and this produces what we call goosebumps. Um, so, uh, erector pili is actually Latin for erectors of the hair. And you can see that 105, the uh, little red area, is the erector pili, and it's going to uh, contract, which is going to cause a goosebump. So, nails are also accessory organs of the skin, and epidermal cells over the terminal ends of the fingers and toes fill with keratin and become hard and plate like. So, you can go ahead and fill your fingernails, they're harder than your skin, obviously. Um, the visible part of the nail is called the nail body. And the root is what lies in a groove and is hidden by a fold of skin called the cuticle. Um, a lot of us, if you push the cuticle back, it's going to kind of loosen up the part. Uh, it will loosen it up, allowing your nail to kind of grow a little bit faster. So I pushed mine a lot. Okay, so crescent-shaped white area is known as the lanula or the little moon. And you can see that part is more towards your cuticle. Um, and so this is also under the nail um, lies a layer of epithelium called the nail bed. And this is... Since it's not darker um, than the rest of our body, if oxygen blood levels drop, um, then cyanosis is going to develop and it's going to turn blue. That's a good indicator of somebody that's not getting a good um, flow of blood. So we're going to go on to skin receptors and we're on page 106. Two skin receptors. Uh, one is the lamellar corpuscle or Pacini corpuscle, which detects pressure deep in the dermis, and the other is superficial. It's tactile corpuscle or mycinar corpuscle, which detects light touch. Other receptors mediate sensations such as crude touch, vibration, pain, and temperature. So we're going to go down to skin glands. The skin glands include two varieties of sweat glands and tiny sebaceous glands. So sweat glands are called sudiferous glands, and they're the most numerous of the skin glands, and they can be classified into two groups, ex exocrine 
Ekron, I'm sorry, Ekron and Aprocrin. Ekron glands um, are the most numerous and important and widespread sweat glands in the body. So this is literally going to be your sweat. Um, It's a transparent, watery liquid called perspiration, and it's used for elimination of waste products. Um, And these are going to be sent through your pores. Um, and pass through small ducts of the eccrine, um sweat glands. So this is done to rid the body of toxins and um, ammonia and uric acid, things like that. So ap- uh, apocrine glands are found in the skin, normally in the armpit or axilla, and they secrete a thicker secretion. So the odor in our armpits is caused by the contamination and decomposition of the secretion by skin bacteria. Um, Epocrine glands enlarge and become, begin to function at puberty. So the reason why your armpits stink is just because of a um, contamination and decomposition of the secretion uh, by skin bacteria. Okay, so moving down to sebaceous glands. Um, Sebaceous glands secrete oil for the hair and skin, and these sebaceous glands are going to grow where hair grows. Um, the secretion is called sebum and it lubricates the hair and skin. They consider it nature's skin cream. The secretion increases during adolescence, stimulated by increasing blood levels of the sex hormones. It accumulates and enlarges some of the ducts of the sebaceous glands, forming white pimples. So these are, um, what we see on the Dr. Pimple Popper channel. Um, and they darken when exposed to air, forming a blackhead or tomato. <clears throat> so all that is, is just, um, a pimple that's been exposed to air is a blackhead. Okay, so we're going to move down to functions of the skin. The functions of the skin, most importantly, are protection, temperature regulation, sense organ activity, excretion, synthesis of vitamin D. So over here for protection, the skin as a whole is, is described as our first line of defense against a multitude of hazards. Um, it's going to protect us from uh, cuts, tears, the waterproof keratin is also going to protect it from excess fluid loss um, and from UV rays. So temperature regulation it um, this accompli- is accomplished by sweat secretion and alterations in blood flow through blood vessels close to the body surface. So sweat evaporates from the body surface and heat is also lost. Heat is also lost by radiation. Okay. Um, since organ activity, millions of nerve endings serve as antennas or, recept- or receivers for the body, keeping it informed of changes in its environment. So direct sensations um, of light touch are going to be tactile co- uh, corpuscles and deep pressure are going to be lamellar corpuscles. And this was also over on page 106. So moving on to page 108, excretion. Excretion refers to any process that rids itself of waste or surplus surf- uh, surfaces substances i'm so sorry um so excretion of substances in sweat can influence the amount of certain ions such as sodium and waste products such as uric acid ammonia and urea that are present in the blood all right moving down to synthesis of vitamin d it's an important function of the skin it is transported to the liver and kidneys where it is converted into an active form of vitamin d and research has shown that it's critically important for good health and emphasizing the importance of its skin function um, skin cancer 
Okay, so three most common types of skin cancer are squamous cell carcinoma, basal cell carcinoma, and melanoma. UVA radiation damages the DNA in skin cells, causing mistakes and mitosis that produce cancer. So going over to squamous cell carcinoma, this is a slow-growing malignant tumor of the epidermis, and it's usually a hard-raised nodule that um, is usually painless. Eventually, it metastasizes or spreads, invading other organs and areas of the body. Um, basal cell carcinoma is the most common type of skin cancer, and it usually appears on the upper face. Um, it's much less likely to metastasize than other types and often appears first as a small raised lesion that erodes in the center to form a bleeding crested crater. So this is the one that Miss um, McGeehee showed us that her husband had. Okay, melanoma is the other uh, third type. Melanoma is the most serious form of skin cancer. It develops from a benign um, or non-cancerous pigmented mole and then transforms into a dark spreading cancerous lesion. So when you think melanoma, they want you to Remember the ABCDE rule of self-examination of moles, um, and this is in chapter 6-1. So if you have a mole and you're thinking it kind of looks a little different than it did before, you're kind of worried about it, I've had this happen personally, had to go to the dermatologist to have it checked out. So you're going to look for asymmetry. Benign moles are usually symmetrical. They have halves or mirror images of each other, and melanoma lesions are asymmetrical or lopsided. So you're going to look at the border B. Benign moles are outlined by a distinct border, but melanoma lesions are often irregular and indistinct in shape. So color, benign moles have uh, to be any shade of brown but are relatively even colored. Melanoma lesions are tend to be unevenly colored, exhibiting a mixture of shades or colors. Then you're going to look at D, diameter. By the time the melanoma lesion exhibits characteristics A, B, and C, it's probably larger than 6 millimeters or one-fourth of an inch. Um, and evolving, moles that continue to evolve or change over time may be cancerous. Besides the changes noted above, melanoma lesions may begin to itch or form an ulcer or bleed. Um, and then also after the age of 20, you have a much greater risk of developing melanoma than someone who experiment, experienced no sunburns. And those who grew up in the 1970s or 1980s are now as older adults exhibiting melanoma at a much higher rate than those in previous generations. Um, if I'm not mistaken, this is when tanning beds were, um, a real big thing. So... We eventually went from a point of trying to protect ourselves from these things to purposely putting our body through these things. So, and actually, um, the tanning bed was invented in 1970 on the dot. Um, okay, so Kaposi sarcoma, or KS, is called by the Kaposi sarcoma associated herpes virus, uh, KSHV, also known as human herpes virus 8. Um, it's associated mainly with a certain ethnic group, and this form of cancer now also appears in many cases of immune deficiencies. Um, it quickly spreads to the lymph nodes and internal organs, um, and it appears, it appears in, like, purple papules. Okay, so now we're going to move on to burns, and we're at the bottom of 108. Burns constitute one of the most serious and frequent problems that affect the skin. Um, typically, when we think of a burn, it's an injury caused by fire or contract of the skin, um, with a hot surface. However, overexposure to UV, which is a sunburn, or contract of the skin with an electrical uh, current or harmful chemicals such as an acid can also cause burns. So the classification and seriousness of a burn injury is appropriate to the treatment. Um, so they're going to look at three major factors, the total body surface area affected, the depth and number of tissue layers involved, and the type of homeostatic um, me mechanisms disrupted, such as respiratory or blood pressure control and fluid and electrolyte balance. So the age and general state of health in the individual at the time of injury are also important. A moderately severe burn 
um, and an otherwise healthy young adult may be life-threatening burn in an infant or elderly individual with pre-existing health condition or uh, pre-existing respiratory problems or heart disease. So, estimating the body surface area, this is not something that I can really read out to you. Um, it's a figure six nine on page one ten. But when burns involve a large area of skin, treatment and possibility for recovery depend um, in large part on the total area involved and the severity of the burn. So the severity of the burn is determined by the depth of the injury and by the amount of body surface that's affected. And they use a rule of nines. So on here, one um, bottom half of the leg is going to be 9%. The other bottom half of the leg is 9%. The groin or genitalia area is 1%. The torso is 18%. Um, either arm is 4.5 and the head is 4.5. So they're going to figure it um, out by this. Um, twice as much or 18% of total skin area covers front and back of the trunk and each lower extremities, including front and back surfaces. Um, so that I would definitely check that picture out. Okay, classification of burns, as you said, describes severity of burns and based on the number of tissue layers involved. So we're going to go over to page 111. First degree burns, for an example, a typical sunburn causes minor discomfort and some reddening of the skin. Although the surface layers of the epidermis may peel one to three days, no blistering occurs and no actual tissue destruction is um, is actually minimal. Second degree burns involve a deep epidermal um, layer and always causes injury to the upper layers of the dermis. Although deep second degree burn damage um, Sweat glands, hair follicles, and sebaceous glands, complete destruction of the dermis does not occur. Blisters, severe pain, generalized swelling, and fluid loss and um, characterize this type of burn. Scarring is common, and first and second degree burns are called partial thickness burns. Okay, third degree burn is characterized by a complete destruction of the epidermis and dermis, and in addition to tissue death, extends below the primary skin layers to the subcutaneous tissue, which is fat. Third degree burns often involve underlying muscles and even bone. A third degree burn type is called full thickness burn. One distinction between second and third is that um, third degree lesions are intense insensitive to pain immediately after injury because of the destruction of nerve endings, but intense pain occurs after the injury um, soon after. The fluid Fluid loss that results from third-degree burns is a very serious problem, and another serious problem with third-degree burns is the great risk of infection because the protection functions of the skin have been lost. So the fourth-degree burn um, is used to describe a full thickness burn that extends below the subcutaneous tissue um, to reach muscle or bone. Skin injuries may occur as a result of high-voltage electrical burns or from exposure to very intense heat over time, and treatment may require extensive skin grafting and even amputation of the limbs. So that is all for chapter six, skin and membranes. And I will say it always, I suggest go over the outline at the back and to um, do the review questions, critical thinking in the chapter test and good luck. Mm -hmm.